Dr. Kinlaw spent the last 20 years of his life studying personhood. Dr. Kinlaw sought to understand the nature of personhood and its relationship to the Incarnation and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. We hope this discussion on personhood enlarges your spiritual understanding and theological perspective. As I thought about what I should talk about, the passage which keeps coming to me and gets more important to me all the time is the passage where I think it's fair to say that Jesus prayed for you and me and for these sessions together. You will remember that on the night before the cross, Jesus was with his disciples, and when they ate together afterwards, we get the record of Jesus' prayer, which is the final thing before he goes out to be arrested. The end of that prayer is one of the most significant passages in the New Testament, and I'd like to get it in the background for our thinking together. I ask not only, he's talking to the Father, I ask not only on behalf of these but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word. Now, it's been a good many centuries of successive generations, but he was thinking about us when he prayed this prayer. That they may all be one, as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become completely one so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am. He wants us with him where he is. To see my glory, which you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made your name known to them, and I will make it known, so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Pray with me. Now, Father, we thank you for your word, that you've given it to us at great price across the centuries, but we have it now, and we thank you for what it means. We want you to take it and seal it to our hearts, and we'll give you praise in Christ's name. Amen. I found life is very interesting at every stage. It was one thing to be at your stage of the game, and it's another thing to be at my stage of the game. There are things about my stage of the game I don't like, but there are things about my stage of the game that I'm finding are very good, and I'm very grateful for. One of the advantages of being old and it's interesting, I've had the privilege of living in five quarters of two centuries. I was born in the first quarter of the 20th century, lived through that. Now I'm in the first quarter of the, 
of the 21st century. So it's a long memory, and memories are treasured. There are times when I wonder if memories aren't better than wealth, and I will uh, try to make a little bit of a case of that, because short memories, where you don't have a long memory, you get caught in a process of change, and you don't have a long enough perspective to know what's taking place, and so you're caught in the moment instead of being able to see the whole and understand what is occurring. Longer memories can observe change and interpret change. Now, change is a fact of life. It can be bad, because change can be such that you lose. But change can also be good, because change can bring you to the place where you can think thoughts that you never thought before. One of the things that I find for me at this stage of the game is, I now am capable of thinking thoughts that I could not think when I was at your stage of the game. And the interesting thing is, nobody else at my stage of that game could think the thoughts that I can think now. Which means it's possible for this thing within you to get richer and richer and richer as the years pass. But the beautiful thing is, you sit on our shoulders. So you should be able to go infinitely farther than we have been able to go in thinking and understanding the important things in life. So, I get excited about some of the changes that I see taking place in thinking, in knowledge, in experience, in what's happening in our world, because I think it may be that you will be in a better position to understand who God is, who you are, what history is all about, and what life itself is about than those of us who went before. Now, let me say very quickly, that's no credit to you. It's just simply the fact that you come after others who paid the price of leading the way and making the, making the breakthroughs that are essential to it. Now, there are a lot of changes that are taking place in your world, and as I observe them, I get more and more excited, and I just wish that I might be able to be around for a little longer to enjoy them. But the place where I'm going is not a place to regret going to, because I'll see a whale of a lot more there than I see here. But now, for now, I get excited about your world and its possibilities. Now, in those changes, we don't have time to talk about them all in our sessions together, and I'm not smart enough to deal or know enough to deal with all of them, but I want to talk about one that is impressing me a great deal. And it's one that uh, might surprise you when I mention it. But if you will stick with me, and if you know what's taking place in intellectual circles in the world today, I think you will know that what I'm going to say is really obvious. It's up front, and we have the opportunity of dealing with it. And what it is, is the possibility. Now, see if you hear what I say. The possibility of rediscovering in your lifetime the meaning of the term person. What it means to be a person. Now, that may surprise you that I talk like that. Because most of us will say, well, I'm a person, I know what a person is. 
the guy or the girl sitting next to me is a person. I know what a person is. A person is a self. A person is an individual. But I want to say, person, self, and individual are not really synonyms. You may use them as synonyms for each other, but they really are not synonyms, and you have a chance to find out what the difference is between a self and an individual and a person. That has developed historically, and when I came along, that thought would have never occurred to any of us. Now, why is it occurring today? It's occurring today because of an incredible turn of attention to the doctrine of the Trinity in Christian circles and in intellectual circles. Now, uh, there is uh, a history behind the term person, and it's a fascinating history to me, and it's one that was lost. It, there was a breakthrough about the fifth, fourth and fifth century, and then it got lost, and it, for all practical purposes, has been lost. You are in a world where you can rediscover now how that took place. The first thing I want to say is, did you know that the word person is a Christian term? Did you know that the English-speaking world would not have the word person if it weren't for Jesus? It is a distinctively Christian term. Individual is another matter. Self is another matter. But this term came out of the early discussions in the 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th century church as to who Jesus was. Now, uh, Jesus created a problem, an intellectual problem for the world when he came because he uh, just didn't fit anybody's patterns. You remember that he uh, did things that nobody else could do. He... Uh, said things that nobody else could really say. He claimed things that nobody else could really, in his sane mind, claim. Because, you see, he could heal the sick, but more than that, he uh, accepted worship. You remember Thomas, who fell at his feet a week after the resurrection and said, My Lord and my God... And he forgave people's sins. Now, only God can forgive people's sins. So here's a human being that if you checked him, he'd have a cholesterol level and he'd have a blood pressure level and a pulse rate. And you'd feel him just like you'd feel the person next to you if you pinched him. Here's a person like this who said, did things and said things that nobody else had ever said or could say. And they said, who is he? And you will remember that he uh, uh, talked as if he had a relationship with God that was unique and different from yours and mine. And yet, at the same time that he did things that only God can do, he said, I'm not the Father. He said, the Father and I are one, but I'm not the Father and the Father is not the Son. And so, they began saying, who is this Jesus? Now, this was a problem at that time because, you see, Christianity came out of Judaism. And they claimed to be the children of Abraham and descendants, you know, of Moses and David. And so 
their relationship with the Jews raised the question. The Jews said, you don't belong to us. You're not children of Abraham because you worship this Jesus. And they said, yes, that's right. But we are the children of Abraham because we believe in only one God, one and one alone. The Hebrew Shema, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. They said, and who do you think Jesus is? And the Christians said, well, he's God's son. And so the Jews said, that's right. That's what you think. Zeus had sons too, so you're pagans. You worship more than one God. The pagans said to the Christians, you belong to us. And the Christians said, oh no, we don't belong to you. Because you have more than one God. We have only one God. And they said, well, who's Jesus? And they said, well, he's the son of God. And so the pagans said, well, Zeus had sons too. So you belong to us. And the church, do you know it took them 300 years, 400 years to answer the question as to who Jesus was? Now, if you get a little discouraged about your progress, just think back to that. That was an encouragement to me. Uh, but God gives us problems that it takes a while for us to work our way through. So the church faced this and said, now, who is Jesus? They said, ultimately, well, he's one God. Wait a minute, God is one. We know that because of Moses and the Old Testament, Isaiah. And Jesus himself said there's only one God. But then Jesus says, I'm his son, and I can forgive sins, and I accept worship, and I'm one with the Father. And so out of that, we've got to short-circuit a lot of stuff here, they came to the conclusion that God is one being, Neosia, one being, and three, then the question was, what was the word you used after three? <laughs> It's a fascinating study as to what the words were that they stuck after three. But the one that won out was the word person. Now, uh, a lot of angles to this that we could go into if we had the time. But the choice of person was the Latin term instead of the Greek term. Now, let me talk for a moment about that. I wonder if this is not providential. Now, I may be crazy as a loon, but you'd be polite for a few moments. Uh, the Greek word which is used for person is the Greek word prosopon. It is authentic synonym to the Latin word persona. Now, the Latins won out with persona instead of prosopon. And there's a story in that. You see, prosopon is made up of a preposition and then a verbal form, a verbal root that can manifest itself as a verb or a noun. The process to, in relation to. The opon, it's the same op as you have in optics or optometry. And the Greek root is ops, and it means vision to see. Now, the Latin is persona. Now, the per is like the pros. It's a preposition. It means through. And the sona has to do with sonar, sound. So, it's interesting 
that a Greek person sees, observes, and a Latin person talks. Now, it's interesting, you get more Greek philosophers than you get Latin philosophers. Lincoln Stevens, just beautiful. <laughs> but you know, there's something beautiful about the fact that persons talk. We have language that differentiates us from animals. And you know how Plato and Aristotle and the Greeks defined a person as a rational animal, a thinking animal, observe, thinking. But the Latins came along and took the word person, speaks. Do you know the difference between God in the Old Testament and the other gods of the world? He speaks. You get it everywhere. Genesis 1, John 1. And he knows our names. And when he speaks to Moses, he doesn't say Moses. He says, Moses, Moses. When he speaks to Saul, he doesn't say Saul. He says, Saul, Saul. When he speaks to Paul, he says, Saul of Tarsus. Saul, if you didn't know I'm talking to, I'm talking to you. Do you know that language connects people? I walk in any group and if somebody will give me your name and suddenly I speak it out, there's a connection between you and me. Persons are addressed as well as observed. Now, this is the kind of thing that they were wrestling their way through. And so, they said, they finally settled on the word. He's one God in three persons. Now, That's where the word came from. You wouldn't have it if it weren't for that discussion. The whole family of person, personality, personhood, and uh, that family of, of words. Now, but what are they saying, you see, when you say one being in three persons? It's very interesting that Jesus said, I'm not all there is of God. He said, uh, I and my Father are one, but I'm not the Father. Never was, never will be. I'm not the Spirit, never was, never will be. He said, we are one though, if you get me, you get him. And if you get him, you get me, because we go together, Father, Son, and Spirit. In fact, he's in me, and I'm in him. Now, uh, I wish we had the time to devote it. But you know, I checked in the story of that night before the cross, Jesus in John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, there are five chapters. I checked in the Greek text. You know how often the preposition in occurs in those five chapters? Fifty-nine times. Now, let me jump. I've come to the place where Emmanuel is an Old Testament word. God with us. But when you come to the New Testament, it's God in us. And so Jesus could say, if you get me, you get the Father. And if you miss me, you miss the Father. He also said about his disciples, when you go out, Matthew 10, Luke 10, John 13, 
when you go out to speak for me, if they accept you, they get me, and when they get me, they get the Father. And if they reject you, they miss me, and when they miss me, they miss the Father, because we come together. Now, you got one God and three persons, so let me shake you a little bit. Do you know what it means to be a person? You're not complete. <laughs> I don't know about you, but that helped me. <laughs> I was glad when I got to that point and saw it. If you had a perfect person, he'd be incomplete. Because a person, by definition, is incomplete. You see, uh, the way that thing ran with person was... First of all, it had to do with the mouth person. Then it came to be used for the face. Then it came to be used for a mask which an actor would wear to let you know what role he was playing. And so when Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father, the early church said, he's the person, he's the face of God, the persona. And then slowly they said, then he plays God's role, And they said, oh, no, 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 he doesn't just play God's role. He is God because we cannot keep from worshiping him. So it's interesting. They had to pour into a term a meaning that was not there and make it richer than it is etymologically and richer than it is historically. And if you want to know what a definition of a person is, the only place you can find an authentic definition of a person is in Jesus. And he's a God-man. But he's not all of God. And he's not all of man. And we're in him, and God is in him. So to be a person is to be incomplete. And that means that redemption is to have our incompleteness completed. So that Tom Torrance, one of the great theologians of the 20th century, He calls Jesus the humanizing human and the personalizing person. He makes true persons. You know, one of the problems with us is, like in anthropology, you say, you want to know what a human being is, what a person is, you look for, look for us. But you know, if I had a friend and I, he'd never seen an automobile, I wouldn't take him to a junkyard to show him an automobile. I'd take him to a showroom. Now, do you know where the showroom is on a person? It's in Jesus. Now, that gives us a very different understanding of what God came in Christ to do. He came to fill the vacuum in us. And the incredible thing is, There's a vacuum in a divine person. So if you had a perfect person, he'd be incomplete. And if you had a God person, he'd be incomplete because persons by definition are incomplete. And Jesus said, I can do nothing of myself. I can only do what I see my Father do. Now, what difference does this make? I have a friend who teaches a ladies' Bible class. A new person came in, lady, beautiful woman, very impressive, striking person, presence about. 
So the lady who taught the Bible class kept watching her. At the end, they would open it for prayer. If you wanted someone to pray for you, they'd have you come forward. So she, this girl came forward for someone to pray for her. And so the Bible teacher said, I watched this because I felt there was something unusual here. And she said, uh, after the session was over with, I had the feeling that this girl who came forward really didn't get clear. So she said, that night, I couldn't get it off my mind. And the next morning, I couldn't get it off. So she said, I called this girl. I said, could we ever have breakfast together? The girl at the other end of the phone instantly erupted and said, tomorrow? And so the teacher said, I knew I was, I was in touch. So they sat down. And so they got started talking. This girl said, I think I need to tell you my story. So the teacher said, good. Well, she said, I grew up in a Southern Baptist home. My parents, I think, were born again. And I was active in the church. And then I got into modeling. And was quite successful at it. And so she said, moving in a model's crowd, she said, I began to live the way the models live. And she said, uh, I didn't think too much about it, but one night, one of the guys I slept with, I said something to him about Christianity, and he said, why do you talk about Christianity? Don't you know these two things don't go together? And she said, that sort of shook me up. She said, uh, I had a party in my apartment. My memory is she said she had 17 people there. And she said, interestingly enough, as I thought about it, every male there I had slept with. And she said, I thought of every one of them as a conquest. She said, we got into the evening. You know, everybody having a high time. When she said, suddenly it was as if a veil was pulled from across my eyes. And for the first time in my life, I could see. I've never felt as alone in all my existence. It was terrifying. And I thought, I'm dead, and they're walking dead. She said, the aloneness would not go away. And the emptiness could not be filled. So she said on Wednesday night, I smoked a marijuana and I looked for a church. And someone in the church took an interest in me and I started reading the Bible. She said, do you know what was my favorite book in the Bible? I read it again and again and again. It was Hosea. She said, I read in there that he wants me to be his bride. And I said, oh no, oh no, that can never be. Not me! But there it was in the biblical text that he wanted me to be his bride. And I said, I can't. Not me. And then she said, a fellow fell in love with me and wanted me to marry him. 
And she said, oh no, you don't want to marry me. You don't want to marry me. And he said, yes, I do. And she said, you don't know who I am. She said, he said, well, all I know is I'm in love with you and I want to marry you. She said, I need to tell you who I am. She said, I told him. She said, I've had three abortions. The doctors tell me that my insides are so scarred, I can never have children. You don't want to marry a woman that can never have children. He said, well, yes, I do. I love you. They got married. She looked at her teacher and said, you know the funny thing? I got pregnant on my honeymoon. And they've got three beautiful children. She said, the teacher said, well, what about the prayer session? Well, she said, there's a need in me that hasn't been met. Now, listen to this, and I'm through. She said, I've had all the religious experiences. I've had them all. But I need something else. In this Bible class, you talked about the fact that God wants me to give myself wholly to Him, and He wants to give Himself wholly to me, where I possess Him and He possesses me. She said, if that's possible, that's exactly what I need. And she found Did you know that Jesus is better than salvation? <laughs> I like the Savior better than His gift. Appreciate His gifts. You know, I like the fullness of the Spirit better than holiness. But you see, we're empty. I want to know if you're full. Go have a good day.